Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Well, I would normally say at this point that the week has been oh, exciting, everything's happening, uh, but I've got to bring it even down to today. Today has been a terrible day, a nerve-wracking day, etc. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Trump. I'm talking about North Korea. Understand something. I'm 82 years old. I was in school. We had Russia was a threat every day to the United States from the end of World War II to 1990. I was in school in the 50s. I was a lawyer raising a family in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But every day over our heads, we had that feeling, that uneasy feeling. Are we going to go to war with Russia? Are we going to have an atomic war? We call them atomic bombs then, not nuclear weapons as they are today. Uh, And everyone had that fear. We didn't talk about it. You just had the gnawing at you on your insides. Well, I haven't had it since the Berlin Wall came down and the Soviet Union fell apart till today. I've got that feeling again today, and I'm concerned. And I'm not saying this in a negative fashion about our president, because I'm going to say this right now. I am opposed to Donald Trump. I think he's inept. I think he's incompetent. I even question his mental stability. But he is our president. And at a time when there could be conflict, then we have to stand together behind our president because he is our leader. And we ain't going to change our leader at this particular time. So we're stuck with him, and we all have to give him our support with regard to this issue of North Korea. Now, Trump starts this morning threatening, and I don't know if this is the right thing to do, but if this is his judgment, then I support it. Fire and fury, power, the likes of this world has never seen before. Wow. Wow. i got to tell you something. Uh, Joseph Stalin, Khrushchev. Gorbachev, none of these guys that were the head of the Soviet Union ever talked like this, nor did any of our presidents talk like this in retaliation. Those are fighting words, and those are Donald Trump's words, and I don't know if they were the right thing today, but this is the way he wants to handle it. He's our leader. Uh, We've got a problem. This is Trump's first major test as president. We're going to find out if he's presidential timber. Uh, when we find out how he handles this thing, okay? I wish him well. I sincerely do. Uh, I think he ought to get off the we're going to beat you up kick because that nut in North Korea, he's always going to beat everybody else up, but he never beats anybody up. But you never know. He's got nuclear warheads now. Uh, All I know is this. If Trump screws up, many will die. Having said that, I want to move on to Hiroshima, and it's a good topic to come up with tonight following what's transpiring between the United States and North Korea. Hiroshima, you will recall, August 6, 1945, the first atomic bomb was dropped on anyone. We dropped it, the United States, on the Japanese city of Hiroshima. Uh, August 6 was the 72nd anniversary of the dropping of that atomic bomb. Uh, And it's appropriate because of the North Korean situation today. All I'm going to share with you are the numbers 
the data, the statistics regarding what occurred that day. So you can appreciate what a nuclear weapon could do to one of our cities here, what a nuclear weapon uh, sent out on our part can do to a North Korean city, okay? And I don't know if any of us want this either way. Uh, but And remember this, the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, not a nuclear bomb. There's a world of difference. I mean, it's like the size, the, the atomic bomb was the size of a, a marble, a little marble. And maybe the nuclear weapons the size of a basketball or bigger. Uh, they're not the same. One's kid stuff. But here's what the kid stuff did that day on Hiroshima. 140,000 people died. 80,000 that day. 60,000 more by the end of the year. Injured, 35,000. There were 90 buildings, commercial buildings, that sort of thing, in Hiroshima. 28 were left standing. There were 200 doctors in the Hiroshima area. After the bomb fell, there were only 20 left alive and capable of working. Out of 200 doctors, only 20 left alive and capable of working. There was 1,000, there were, I'm sorry, 1,780 nurses. After the bomb fell, only 150 were left to tend to the sick and dying. Now, same results three days later over Nagasaki. Uh, is this what we want today? None of us want this. And I don't want us in a pissing match with North Korea. It's called diplomacy. We've kept him at bay through several pres our presidents with diplomacy. Uh, I don't think anyone from China to Japan to India to Pakistan, no one wants a nuclear war. But with this nut out there in North Korea, you don't know. And unfortunately, with all due respect, and I support my president as of today with regard to this issue, he has not really exercised diplomacy with North Korea because he doesn't know diplomacy. He, he, his staff, he's got, I don't know how many jobs, 37 top jobs after the Secretary of State that have not been filled yet. He wants to cut the budget in the State Department in the new budget by 35%. You need these diplomats. They know how to talk to these nuts on the other side. But that's what happened in Hiroshima, and it would be worse if it happened here. It would be bad if it just happened as it did in Hiroshima, but we know it will be worse. We're into the hurricane season here. Uh, we haven't been threatened yet, but i got to tell you, the way it's been raining lately, summertime is rain time in Key West. And yesterday and today, it rains and it rains. It rains for an hour, it doesn't rain for an hour, and then it comes back again. And every time it rains, it pours. And as I, I said yesterday, I wrote yesterday on my blog, if there was a wind, we would think it's a monsoon or the beginning of a hurricane. Fortunately, there's no wind because when the hurricanes come, the rain doesn't drop vertical. It's horizontal. That's, you actually see the rain going by you in the horizontal line. Anyhow, uh, we've only had really two major storms so far, not in Key West. We've had two tropical storms, one on the Gulf Coast around Tampa, I believe, and that was nothing when it came in, just one across Florida and dissipated. It was a lot of rain. 
there's one right now down in the Yucatan Peninsula that they've been watching for several days. This was supposed to be a tropical storm. It hasn't hit yet land, but it's now said it's projected it might turn into a hurricane by the time it hits land. Uh, now, how do you best describe a hurricane? And that's why I'm bringing the issue up also. Do you remember the movie Key Largo, Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, Edward G. Robinson, Claire Trevor, uh, a lot of big stars. And Key Largo is the first large key after you leave mainland Florida coming down here. Edward G. Robinson played a big-time gangster. He was the boss, mafioso type, and he had several of his cronies with him. And one of the cronies asked another, asked one of the other flunkies, uh, "What's a hurricane? I don't know what a hurricane is." And this flunky said it, and he said it well. And I quote, "And this, my friends, is what a hurricane is: the wind blows so hard, the ocean gets up on its hind legs. The wind blows so hard, the ocean gets up on its hind legs and walks across the land. That's exactly what a hurricane is." Anthony Scaramucci, Uh, as you're aware from last week's show and my writings in the blog every day, I don't like, I did not like Scaramucci. I thought he was a poor choice to be, I think he was going to be director of something or other, communications director. Uh, He only lasted seven days. I was ashamed that that he was Italian uh, because he acted like a buffoon, Okay. Uh, but in any event, he lasted six days. He wasn't even sworn in, and he got fired after six days of work. Now, some days you just can't win in this world, whether you're Anthony Scaramucci, you're Louis Patron, or you're anyone else, you people that I'm talking to. Some days you just can't win. We all have had days like this. Now, here's the story with Anthony Scaramucci. He's fired as Trump's communication director. That same day, I'm laughing, I can't help it, he receives, he went to Harvard Law, by the way, he's a graduate of Harvard Law, he receives Harvard Law's alumni directory, law school alumni directory, it had just been published three days before he got his copy, and his name was listed in there, but he was listed as dead. So the law school's alumni director comes out, and he's listed as dead. This is the day he got fired. Uh, well, <laughs> it would bother me a little bit that my name wasn't listed properly, especially after, especially after all the notoriety I got in those six days, which some of it could be helpful. Uh, Harvard, of course, apologized to Scaramucci and said they were sorry, and they would correct the error in the next edition. The only trouble, I'm laughing again, the next, the, the book, the directory's only published every five years. And he had to wait, he has to wait five years before it's corrected. So some days you just can't win. I have talked about private prisons off and on the last 10 years. Uh, I, I have not spoken of them well. Uh, because they're not good things. Uh, you're taking, see, pri- government believes today privatize everything. Then the government doesn't have to, to pay the bill. They want to know they have a fixed expense. If jailing prisoners in a state, by the state, let's say cost $70 million, 
if the state runs it, and a private corporation comes along and says, I'll do it for $55 million, the state's going to sign a contract with the private corporation to have the private corporation take care of the jails because they know they're going to save $15 million and they won't get hit with an overage in any year. And this has been happening all across the country, federal and state prisoners. Now, I've been opposed for several reasons. One is corruption. Yes, corruption. You have to understand, the more the jails are paid by the number of people that go in, the number of beds that are filled. So if you have a $170 million contract, and uh, that means that they're going to get enough beds filled per night to make $70 million. They can have more beds filled and make more money, okay? That's okay, but at a minimum, $70 million. Corruption. Corruption. What kind of corruption? Well, you have to understand, you've got the state paying the bill. You've got counties paying the bill. You've got cities paying the bill for the prisoners who go. Everybody's got a piece of the action they had to pay, had have to pay as part of the contract. The money comes out. Now, fines went up big time in city courts because they had to bring in money. To, they got stuck with part of this contract. But it's a fixed figure, and everyone was happy. About 10 years ago, uh, and this is when I got into private prisons and got concerned, two family court judges in Pennsylvania, they take care of, they took care of judges and family problems and kids, kids, the next judges, they took care of kids, school kids. And they were sending a lot of kids, I'm talking grammar school, high school, to jail. Not for a long time, two days, three days, five days. Uh, one an A student, they sent her for three days for talking back straight A's to her teacher, and she got three days in the can. She needed a psychiatrist afterwards. And people said, geez, this is, all of a sudden all these kids are going to jail. Well, it was found out it took 10, 10 years for them to catch up with these two judges. But they were getting kickbacks by the jail, each of them, these two judges who were taking care of children. They were getting kickbacks and to the tune of, over a period of 10 years, each one $1 million. They are now doing 20 years in jail, and properly so. So you have the problem of corruption. Just because a man's a judge doesn't mean he can't be corrupt, he can't be tempted. Then the prisoners were treated poorly. The food wasn't as good as before. They're not getting proper medical care because any buck the private corporation can save, they're going to save, even if it's to the detriment of the prisoner. Okay. Uh, not, Not a healthy situation at all. Now there is a jail, a private jail in Estancia, California. Been in business there for 30 years. It is the biggest business in the city of Estancia. And maybe in Torrance County, where it's located, it's known as the Torrance County Detention Facility. 30 years, this private jail. Well, they sent a, it was announced yesterday. They, they sent a letter out uh, to the federal and state people who provide the inmates that unless the number of beds were increased, which means the number of prisoners increased between now and 45 days, between now and September 23rd, they were closing down the jail. All right? It turns out that recently business hasn't been good. They're, they're, supposed, they're set up for 500 inmates, okay, a year. They don't have 500 inmates anymore. 
they they're only getting two hundred, and that makes sense that they the three hundred shy because for the last several years, state and federal governments are saying we don't want to send everybody to jail anymore. We're overcharging people, we're over jailing people, uh, and it just costs too much money. You know, it costs like something like you go to jail, see, in a state jail, it's eighty-five thousand dollars a year if the state's paying per inmate. Where the hell are you going to get all this money? We got to save a buck. So they had been trying to keep people out of jail and putting them on probation. Now, can you imagine what the political pressure is going to be now on judges and prosecutors to send more people to jail that normally in the past few years they would grant probation to and keep them out of jail? Not right, not fair. Uh, The other thing is, This particular jail is owned by the Corrections Corporation of America. They are the second biggest private prison company in America. Let me tell you something. These prison companies have the highest paid lobbyists in Washington and in state capitals. Did you hear me? The highest paid lobbyists. Because this has been a gold mine for 30 years. And if any of these companies were public, you should have bought stock in them, okay? It's already been determined that if Estancia closes down the Torrance County Detention Facility, the city will immediately lose $1 million in taxes, all right? And also another $250,000 in utility fees. That's only the beginning. Think of the peripheral fallout. Uh, the local businesses that won't, if, you, if you're going to put, there are 200 people that work in this facility who live in the Estonia area, Estancia area, I'm sorry, and if they're not working, they're out of a job, they're not going to buy clothes, they're not going to go to a restaurant to eat, they're not going to go to movies to see a picture. Uh, everybody gets hurt. And the private prison here, operated by Corrections Corporation of America, is throwing the gauntlet down. I'm interested to see what happens and how it happens. It would be a shame if they met their commitment, the government, because to do that, they've got to send people to jail who should not be going to jail. I want to talk about teenage suicides. Teenage suicides. A Harvard study came out last week covering 2007 to 2015. I'm sorry to say that teenage suicides, I'm sorry to bring this to your attention, are up dramatically in that time frame, 2007 to 2015, especially with girls. They're at, suicides are at an all-time high. They have doubled from 2007 to 2015. The number of girls committing suicide doubled. Not with teenage boys. They're only up 30%. Two reasons are given for this increase in suicides of teenagers, by teenagers. One is opiates and heroin overdoses, and we can understand that. These kids are getting hooked. Adults are getting hooked. Forget the kids. Adults are getting hooked. Our society has gotten hooked on opiates and heroin overdoses. The other thing is uh, there's still lingering effects of the 2008 recession. And that makes sense, too, because the jobs that came back are poor-paying jobs. They're not the great jobs that used to exist. Uh, These kids, they just know. They just know that if I go to college and spend all that money, I'm not going to get a good job. They read all this stuff, which is true. College graduates with a BA or BS degree, uh, they're lucky if they get a job beyond McDonald's. 
And so that bothers them also. They're taking these things too seriously in that regard, the children. But there's a problem out there that we have to deal with, and it's teenage suicides, which are up dramatically. We read, see, hear constantly about police officers and all the terrible things they're doing the past few years, especially to blacks. And I've been on the backs of police officers because I think it's wrong the way we they're shooting them up. They're shooting black people up and killing them. And then they're getting off on these trials because over the years, the police lobby, everything's a lobbyist, my friends, have had laws passed which say, well, if the police officer thinks he might be in danger, he doesn't have to really be, uh, and he shoots somebody, then he's not responsible. Well, that's bullshit, okay? And you can see what's happened. A lot of black people have been killed. Uh, But police officers are there to help you and me also. They're just scared for their own lives, I think, because this whole black-white situation is totally out of hand. Uh, And a lot of them do do good. I think all of them do good until they get mentally screwed up and pull this, you know, press the trigger at the wrong time. There's a police officer by the name of Ramon Morales. He's 27 years old. He's a former Marine. He's only been on the police force 10 months. He's being described today as a hero. Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning, Morales was driving his police, the police vehicle around at night, and he was flagged down and told that there was a woman sitting on railroad tracks nearby. He drove swiftly down the road, and as he got to the tracks, the crossing arms came down, which meant that a train was on its way, a train that did not slow down at this intersection. Morales saw the woman sitting on the tracks. He ran over and he pulled the woman off the tracks just as the train went speeding by. The woman wanted to know, (laughs) poor lady, she wanted to commit suicide. She wanted to know, why did you pull me off the tracks? She was upset with him. Now, While all this is going on, the camera and recording device on the dashboard of the police car are facing this incident, purely accidentally, but they're facing it. So all this is on camera, her comments and what he did. Turns out Morales is really a hero. He didn't realize that the train almost got him, too. It was that close. Not even a second later, less than a second later, had he gotten there, he would have been destroyed by the train together with the woman. Uh, He didn't know. He said after he said, I ran and grabbed her and I got her away in time. But it was that close on the camera. Uh, He saved the woman's life without regard to his own, and he is a hero. Our president, Donald Trump. Now, I'm not speaking disparagingly. I've already said at the beginning here tonight that he's our president. And I'm not going to speak disparagingly about this possible war situation, but there are things that are very stupid that he has done and he shouldn't be doing, okay? Him or his people. We all know the Secret Service has, I don't know how many Secret Service men who are out there protecting the president 24 hours a day, the president and his family. Now, the president lives in... His home is Trump Tower, though he hasn't been there yet since he took office. Uh, And the law says that the primary residence, and Trump Tower is the president's primary residence, requires 
mandates secret service protection, even if the president isn't there. Well, the Secret Service took a condominium underneath the huge Trump condo. They took a smaller one for their offices because they got to be next to them 24 hours a day. Problem arose. Uh, the Secret Service, the Trump, Trump Towers is operated by a Trump company known as the Trump Organization. It's so big it has its own law firm internally. Well, the Trump Organization and the Social, Social, I'm sorry, the Secret Service could not get together on what the rent should be. Guess what? <laughs> Trump Organization this past week evicted the Secret Service from the Trump Towers, <laughs> the place where they were to protect the president and his family, because they could not agree on, on the rent. The Secret, the, the Trump Organization says you have to go. And Secret Service packed up their bags. They got booted out. They placed a trailer. The Secret Service now is operating out of a trailer on the sidewalk in front of Trump Towers. Now, it all had to do with money. Uh, And you say, well, gee, how much money could be involved? Well, let me give you an example. With all due respect, I think he's a pig, Trump, when it comes to the way he charges for everything. Uh, The... Pentagon, by law, is required to have an office for its military staff close to the president, just as the Secret Service must be for military decisions that have to be made. Okay, The military last week closed their leasing agreement with the Trump Organization for a condo in Trump Towers. $130,000 a month. Wow. $130,000 $130,000 a month is being paid for I don't know how many rooms for military officers to be on site with with proper equipment uh, so they can operate hand-in-hand with the president if required. 130000 a month. Secret Service is out on the sidewalk. What bullshit. Uh, I've talked about Trump lying. Last week I did it in a... Religious Spain, I forgot, I think it was Proverb 17 or something. Uh, this week I want to talk about Trump lying and George Washington. Remember George Washington, father of our country? He said, Father, I cannot tell a lie, I cut down the cherry tree. Father, I cannot tell a lie, I cut down the cherry tree. We all learned it in school, in grammar school. And, you know, the message was, tell the truth. And we learn from that as kids, and it stays with us. You should always tell the truth. George Washington did. He cut down the cherry tree, and when his father wanted to know what happened, he says, Father, I cannot tell a lie. I cut down the cherry tree. Uh, Well, I'm just raising this because Trump maybe never learned this in grammar school. I don't know, but he doesn't understand. You've got to tell the truth, and he does lie. Now, The interesting thing or the oddball situation arising out of this, that that story about George Washington is totally false. There was an author, a novelist by the name of Mason Locke Warren. It's 1806, all right? He made up the story. He wrote a book, and he was trying to sell his book, and he put some stories like this in that weren't true. And the people knew they weren't true, but they found them humorous, okay, at the time. But over the course of a couple of centuries, we have come to accept Father, I cannot tell a lie. I cut down the cherry tree. Uh, 
I wish Trump were more truthful. That's all I can say. Where are we going here? Stephen Miller. How I dislike Stephen Miller. He's an aide in the White House and, and that group in the West Wing around the president. Uh, this past week, he's in there because of Bannon. He's officially an aide to the president. He's in there because of Steve Bannon. He's one of his uh, followers, parasites, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he's only 31 years old. Uh, I have this, he, he, he keeps his hair slicked back. He's short. He's thin. Reminds me of Joseph Goebbels. Hitler's Joseph Goebbels, chief of propaganda for Adolf Hitler. I have referred to him in that, with that description many times in the past and written it that way. He had an altercation uh, at a, in the press room with Joe Acosta from CNN and had to do with you can't get in the country under the new proposed immigration law unless you can speak English. Acosta's father couldn't. He came from Cuba in 62, couldn't speak. My grandfather and grandmother came over at the turn of the century and couldn't speak English. What the hell would I be doing today if they weren't allowed in this country? You know, would I be a lawyer in, in Naples? Would I be baking bread there? Would I be a fisherman? So stupid. You bring them over here, they learn English right away. It's a survival thing. My time's running out. I thank you for joining me tonight. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, please come back next week and sit in and listen with me again. In the meantime, I do a live video on Facebook every day. It's called Key West Lou Live. It's only two or three minutes. Listen to it. I pontificate. I tell you what I think about this and that and everything else. If you enjoy the show, you'll enjoy that even more. Good night, and thank you again for joining me.